This episode of Talking Indonesia was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung people. The country of Indonesia. Do they like me in Indonesia? 100% confident Indonesia will prevail. Hello and welcome to Talking Indonesia. My name is Gemma Purdy. In 2015 and 2019, massive forest fires in Indonesia shrouded its neighbours in smoke. The haze caused respiratory and other health problems for residents of Singapore and Malaysia. And the carbon emitted and heat generated from these fires pushed Indonesia's aspirations of achieving its greenhouse gas emissions targets further out of reach. The fires and the haze they caused are the consequence of decades-long industrial-scale destruction of the forests and carbon-rich peatlands of the world's third-largest tropical forests, which constitute a vital carbon sink in the race to reduce global emissions. In September last year, Indonesia signed a new deal with Norway, committing it to a significant reduction in emissions from forest degradation by 2030. This will be no easy task, For whilst a moratorium on deforestation covers most of the 90 million hectares of natural forest, millions remain under threat due to pressures to establish plantations and for development purposes, including the National Food Estate Project and the new capital city. With these competing interests at play, reducing the threat of fires and their high carbon emissions has become more critical than ever. So as we look to a La Nina And so very dry season ahead, what is being done to reduce the risk of fires? Why do they happen in the first place? Why have they become so large in recent times? And what needs to be done to protect not only the forests, but the lives and livelihoods of the Indigenous people who live in them? To answer these questions and more, I'm joined by Sofian Ansori, a PhD candidate at Northwestern University, whose ethnographic research is focused on the indigenous Dayak in central Kalimantan and their relationships with fire in a changing environment. Hello, Sofian. Thank you so much for joining us on Talking Indonesia. Hello, Gemma. Thank you so much for the invitations. I'm happy to be here. Forest fires, deforestation, these are topics that are familiar to our listeners, but I really think that it's worth reminding everyone just how important Indonesia's forests are for all of our well-being, for, for global well-being? Yeah, I think that's really important questions. The thing with forest and the forest fires is like when things happening, it can reinforce the heat within our, our surroundings. So one research even say that if fires keep occurring, it can reinforcing the, the global warming and then it will increase the possibility for recurring fires in the next year. So so I think that's one point that might be illustrate the urgency of fire control. Yeah, because the forests of Indonesia, hugely important repository for carbon absorption, isn't it? Yeah. Let's compare this to the to the region, right? To the Southeast Asia for instance. It's not only Indonesia that has this problem. But the main differential is that Indonesia is having a special ecology named peatland. 
or peatland forest. Indonesia is has like maybe 90% of the peatland, tropical peatland in this region. This is really important that we think about that in that sense. Because even though fires happen in the other region in the Southeast Asia, the impacts to the social and or economical or political not as many as what happened in Indonesia. So once these ecosystems is disturbed to the extent that it's prone to fires, the fires can stay there and then it is becoming more frequenter. And this fair ecosystem that created the haze problem throughout the Southeast Asia. So when you happen to have forest fires, for instance, on the surface level, it's, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's more controllable to extinguish the fires compared to the fires in the peatland because the fires can smolder beneath the surface and it's it's going to stay there for a while. And basically nothing you can do than waiting for the rain season to come. We need to think about how to manage the peatland. Yeah. Exactly. The fires that are creating the this haze and warming, as you depicted it, but also damaging the peatlands themselves, which actually are such an asset for storing carbon and the importance that has for reducing carbon emissions, right, worldwide. So before we get to that discussion about these fires, Sofyan, so our listeners might remember some of these big, big fires that have happened in the last 20 years or so. Can you tell us what is the cause of them? And then we can talk about the consequences. Why do they start and why do they become so big? So, first of all, in the past, the state established that the cause is the traditional slash and agriculture that contributed to the occurrence of fires or at least initiate the fires there. And secondly, they blamed the weather conditions, like extremely rare conditions when we have prolonged droughts across region. So for a long, long time, that was the two scapegoats used by the state to explain the occurrence of fires. But many scientists believe there's more to it, and I believe so. So to explain this a little bit, let me take you back to 1967, actually. So that was the first time we had these regulations on our forest. That was the first time we have exploitations of forest by ourselves, not by other countries or the colonial one. So it had been like that for two or three decades. So basically what was transformed actually the forest itself. So we distracted our forests to the extent that they were really prone to fires. And then when the El Nino came, of course, such environment becomes susceptible to that stress. And then the, the practice to use fires to cleaning land come into being and then reinforce that kind of unhealthy situations. So it's a combination of that. It's not only about the fire practice or it's not only about the El Nino, even though the episodes of mega fires in Indonesia correspond positively with the occurrence of really strong El Nino including the 1987, the 2015, and 2019, and all before that too. But I want to stress more about the changing environment that caused this environment to be susceptible to fires. So 
it's really hard for us to just who ignite the fires or finding the direct correlations between the actions and the fire itself. I believe that's more to it. We need to go back and then analyze historically why do we have this kind of very uh, prone to fire um, ecosystem in the first place. Yeah. Thank you. That was a really good explanation and the the element of the history there, because I was wanting to ask you more about that, because, you know, you've written that Indonesia is no stranger to fire. And as you said, there are traditional practices used by farmers that include fire. So can you maybe just go into a bit more of detail about, you know, how farmers use fire and have done for a long time? Yes, there's a lot of misunderstanding about this practice. And I don't want to, you know, also to endorse this practice too, but more about discussing what is so important about this practice for at least for the people. For them who live in the in peatland and shallow peatland and not in Java or in the very nice place to, to do agriculture, they need something to do beforehand to be able to plant their paddy uh, any commodity that they, they want to plant there. So the fires used in the slash and burn agriculture, they basically clean their land first and they had this technique, I can say. In the past, they collectively do this. They start the fires and then people will involve to guide the fire so it will not spread anywhere beyond the intentional uh, space that they want to create. After that, they will wait for the rain to come. So in, in local terms, the uh, masak already to be planted like that. What changed? So first, we cannot ignore the fact that the institution or the cultural institution changed a bit too. Uh, in the past, they they did it collectively, and now it's more and more individual work. First, that. And then, second, and the most important thing that we discuss about the transformations of the environment because of the deforestations and then the subsequent plantation expansion across Indonesia. So, the, the, these two changes influence the outcomes of such practice. Like in the past, even though you ignite fires on your land, even if it's spread to other places, this environment can take it because they're wet enough to handle that kind of, you know, stressor. But after the huge transformations within the ecosystem, they can no longer tolerate any fires there. So if it's spread somewhere, it will ignite fires in that area beyond your control. So the environment is not in our favor anymore because of the destructions in the past decades. So it's, it's not about blaming the practices, but also acknowledging what can we still do and what we cannot do anymore about that practices. So I want to put it in that way. So we are not talking about blaming the practice, but we are also not endorsing it recklessly. Is it also used by by large corporations? Are they also using this technique? I think so. Yeah. Like uh, many plantations use this kind of technique because it's cheap, actually. Compared to you do it like by book, first you clear the the land by by machinery that you need to rent it, that you need to, you know, clean it day by day. But if you can use the most efficient technique for to clear your land to prepare for your plantations they would take it 
and then this is the problem actually like we the media too play a role in the situations by perpetuating the imbalance more state actors put the traditional farmers in the spotlights more than the corporations actors that actually doing that for accumulations of the capital it's quite different from the farmers perspective that they they do the slash and agriculture for survival it's it's quite different in, in that sense but even though the state then in law enforcement department able to seize uh, the perpetrators of fires it's really hard to process them because they will have a certain power to stall the investigations because they will go with a lawyer with everything that they have and then they will meet in the court so imagine this will take you years to have a conclusion compared to you know uh, small farmers being caught by the policemen and brought to the police stations and that's it you know that's the difference and then we still discussing that the, there is still too weak law enforcement to that side corporations it's all a very complicated situation because as you've written about and others have sopian it's the connections right between political interests and logging interests you know, they've been so entwined for so long now. Like you mentioned the 60s yeah. because it goes back to the 60s and still until today, you know, there are a lot of interests amongst those who are now in positions in Indonesia's mm-hmm. government and other levels of politics. And of- mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about how close those interests are and why does this matter when we're trying to solve this problem of the fires? Like you said earlier that this is the political side of these fires are a bit messy because we were talking about Indonesia that still wants to foreground the plantation economy because this is one of the sect that most politicians are proud of this plantation economy and then they need some treatment from the government to be able to sustain their practices including uh, protections and everything else and then we see a lot of policy or regulations around managing our resources to the little bit contradictory to what we are hoping like for instance on one side we have this peatland restorations that really wants to hold the water within the peatland And that's something that Jokowi introduced, right? Yes. And then on the other hand, we have another of programs like national program, ambitious program called Food Estate that we need to give some space to. In some instances, they need to create this water flow. So on one hand, we want to keep the water to keep the hydrology well. But on the other program, they need the water to supply the plots. So that's only two instances, but you get the idea. And then and on one hand, we want to stop deforestations and fires from happening. But on the other hand, we still allow the logging. We still allow deforestations to happen for the sake of development. So basically, it allows deforestations as long as on the aggregate we're still not below the the target what's the target the the target the ndc target the emission target so right. as long as we are still up there that's fine so that's the very heart of this so what a stake here like once you have another fire episode like 2015 this target won't be achieved no 
So that's why the stake are, is really high to suppress the fire episode because they allow deforestation. It means that our target is negative if that happens. But you need to do something about the fires. Once the haze and the emissions coming from the fires, then you will have so many things to tackle on. And then the target, we can say bye-bye to that. Yeah. So what you're saying is... <laughs> But it's crazy because then you have these contradictions. You know, we know that last September, mm -hmm. Indonesia did sign an MOU with Norway, mm -hmm. right? That it's this latest deal because it signed a few of these deals to reduce emissions from forest and land fires by 80% compared to 2015, which you mentioned. It's a huge target, yes. massive target. Yes. So do you think it's achievable? What is their plan? The plan, if you follow Indonesia politics closely, like you will notice that this was coming from the city Nurbaya, the ministry, that we cannot stop develop our country, right? And even there's a pressure for international not to deforest our country. And then the new agreement with Norway after several episodes of, you know, uh, head love relationship, and then also with the UK, with the US, they kind of frame it like they want to support this initiative. This initiative needs a lot of funding to achieve. The one of the most important elements in that is fire prevention. That's why in the MOU in Norway, it is there written that wants to reduce the fire by 80% because that's the only way we can achieve our target. So you're right, this government is juggling between this NDC target or emission target and development target. And don't forget about the, the new capital that we want to build to, you know, it means something for the environment too, right? So this initiatives gives room for that, for development in Indonesia. But the stake means that we can no longer tolerate our fires to happen. So you're asking, is it achievable? First, we need everything in our favor including the weather you know <laughs> so imagine if in next five years we will not have el nino or strong el nino i think that's gonna be in our favor and second they want to stress more about the law enforcement too and then this is when we want them to really really taking care of the practice to clear the land for plantations with fires so because they've been really, really hard to farmer, people in Kalimantan where I conducted my field work were really afraid to just go to go to their land because they were afraid that the police will get them and then they will be jailed because of that practices. Yeah. In the villages, you will see tons of banners containing threats to them. Like if you do this, you will be jailed and then you will be fined like 1 million rupiah or something like that. So it was scary. Sofia, did they have a program to support the farmers aid, for example, to help them to, to clear the land responsibly? They have, but it's not significant because it's still in pilot project, doing very small experiment or not wholeheartedly, you know, producing the alternative to the agriculture. And then we are dealing with the short of cash in many, many places in Indonesia. Like in the past, they can at least have cash from the forest products. Yeah. It's diminishing. So they don't have more cash now. And, uh, well, they would have to borrow money before they can plant the crop, harvest the crop. And on top of that, yeah. 
because of these regulations, they will need to buy rice, their staple foods. Because in the past, when they can do agriculture, they just need to complement the rice they are planted in their agricultural pots with something else like fish or something else like that. It's quite easy, actually. But now, on top of every economic stressor they experience, they are expected to buy their staple food too. So, and this is where uh, the issue becoming more like a political economy issues because the alternatives uh, offered by the government for them is not solving the problem by now. Like they said, you can still manage your land without fires. Yes, but how? And then what's the expenses for that? And then it's way more expensive than the methods they used to use. So now as you describe it, many of them are probably just leaving the, like no more are they doing any farming. Precisely. Like a lot of farming areas are now abandoned and then full of weeds and everything else. So by the time they're ready to do the farming again, it's going to be a lot of things to do before that. Yeah. And then in relative terms, as we've been talking about it, you have these big corporations, these logging companies that are clearly also using fire for clearing because it's cheaper. You said like they've been fined, but they just don't pay. What is the solution? We've been seeing some improvement, of course, like some corporations are being punished because they're being actively not engaging with the fire prevention program but we want we 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 still need to see more about this law enforcement to these big players not to farmers anymore but what about these concessions occupied by big corporations because within their permits they are expected to manage the land uh, wisely including preventing fires from happening so by any chance when fires occurred from their land spreading or not they are responsible for that and now we are talking about will you do some punishment to that Uh, and then and we still need to calculate the power network the connections between politicians and corporations too we're not talking about jakarta but uh, in the province like Riau, like, like Sumatra Selatan, in Kalimantan too, we still need to unpack this relationship too. So this is a national as well as subnational problem. Yeah, people have made and are still making a lot of money from this industry or in this industry, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's hard to compete with that. Do you think that something might be changing? You know, do you think there's a shift happening in the consciousness of, say, Indonesian public? There's been some really good journalism, right, that's blown the whistle on some of the behavior of these companies. Do you think that's making any difference? Like I said earlier, we're improving. Like some journalists are now getting help from local people too, like in discovering facts about the government program or strategy and uh, managing resources, not only about, you know, fires or pitland restorations, but in broader sense of environmental uh, governance. And you may notice that in Indonesia currently that our policy is viral-based policy. If one thing goes viral, most likely we will have something. Uh, you get a response. Right, right. When you deny that at first and then you seeing it, works and works again and then yeah i mean like okay so this is how things works in indonesia we need to strengthen this local journalism or hoping people to be aware of their political rights and then we might see something is changing in the couple of years from now 
especially if they see or they can prove with video. <laughs> yeah, you must capture it on video. Yes. I mean, but there are, you know, how many, 200 million citizen journalists out there. With the power of netizen, <laughs> you have support from, from all over Indonesia to do so. I'm not going to say this is easy because we witnessed that the whistleblowers usually don't get protected from the state. So you need to protect yourself. You need somebody voluntarily going to protect you from people who want to harm you. So, but I guess with the rising political awareness in Indonesia, like now people are fully aware about the politics. They know that they have election, they can choose their political figures uh, wisely now, and they have these powerful tools on their hands, their smartphones. I think in the future, we need their contributions to. First of all, protect themselves and then uh, protect Yeah, that's kind of important because you still have the ITE laws and, you know, as you said, there's some really powerful interests uh, involved. But as you know, it is a trend that can't be denied at the moment, though the key is the will of the political elite. What's your assessment of Jokowi's commitment to this project of emissions reduction? I have no interactions whatsoever with Jokowi, but uh, judging from his promises and the way the the minister of forestry and i think they're quite serious because also we are being pressured internationally for our conduct and we signed the treaty too in first agreement and then asean transboundary haze treaty too so they're serious about that uh, and they cannot hide anymore, not like in the past, because we are now in a situation that a lot of people are aware about what's happening to our planet. I, I would love to believe in the promise, but sometimes Jokowi, in my uh, opinion, exaggerate the achievable targets. For instance, when there was uh, the fire happening in 2015, he said that he will solve the problem only in three years. And then, yes, uh, it looked like the promise being kept until it's not, <laughs> because by 2019, the big fires occurred again. So the efforts are there, mm. but we will see in the couple of years that whether or not this is achievable. Um, uh, we can we can see from the MOU or from this uh documents that are being circulated around we can say that this is very ambitious targets like 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 our uh, Paris agreement too like we keep missing the target too so yeah so do you think though like so what from what I hear you saying is maybe the international pressure means a little bit more now than it than it used to yes I can say that 2015 fires is a game changer for Indonesia. You know what, like you said, that we, the ASEAN transboundary haze was happening in 2002. And then Indonesia ratified it in 2014. So 12 years. <laughs> so it, it, it took really, really long for Indonesia to acknowledge that we take part in this disaster. And then after they signed things in there, and then there's like a budgetary uh, consequences when you, when you're when you're signing things, but you are not performing. So I think that's the, the Indonesia used to that, 
to that system like uh, because all our political uh, system working in that way like controlled by the budget by the funding uh, so they they speak this scheme so i think that's the way to control or to expect more from indonesia is to control that okay if you are not doing this no more funding for your initiatives blah 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 and etc so it's yeah. it sounds harsh but that's the conditions that we are dealing with now yeah it is harsh i mean because you do see the the point of view of you know even though you really don't want to but the minister when she said we're not going to sacrifice our development goals for yeah. you know reaching an emissions target it's hard but you know fair enough it's the yes. argument that we know many developing countries use right right do you think that the you mentioned the asean agreement and the opinion of the neighbors who for decades have suffered the haze that seemed to just yeah not really impact until 2015 yeah maybe jokowi was a difference sofian i don't know maybe you know the previous governments were not sensitive yes. Yeah, I I would love to believe that we need also to acknowledge that the BRG, the Badan Restorasi Gambut, the the Pitland Restoration Agency, I think has been acting nationally and then I guess this is the first time that we as a country have a solid and planned actions to tackle environmental problems. We used to have this very patchy programs very patchy uh, uh collaborations between countries to tackle here and there not coherent and it, this is happening in this regime since 2016 we need to acknowledge that i mean to give credit when it's due so that's my credit to this government but still plenty things to do What about, you know, going back to your farmers, right? I mean, they must be more aware than anyone about the impact of climate change on their environment. They're in it right now. What do they want? The people that I'm interacted with, they were taking part in this in the timber boom in the past where they can produce gas easily and then after that they have this commodity like rubber when the price was high and everything else so in the past they embed themselves to this cash economy and then when the methods to do so are now diminishing like timber no longer our economy like like not not not, not leading the economy anymore and then the rubber price are so low to the extent that people are don't want to talk about that anymore so they expect actually there's something that they can lean on to produce cash what they want right now or at least some of them is the alternative to do the agriculture that is as convenient as they had in the past so imagine if there's alternatives okay you can produce things but it's twice or thrice harder than what you had in the past right it was life was what you're saying is like that other life right. which is gone now that was a good life now not a perfect life but sure. it was the life that they're accustomed to yeah now if you offer them the alternative that is really really hard for them the most common complaint coming from the people is like yes we understand it the consequences yeah we want to contribute too But if you are taking that away from us, what's the alternative for us anymore that we can survive this? They don't they don't say that we gain something, but to just survive the, the, the in this economy. 
like this is very common in Indonesia in subnational level beyond Java industry are lacking so they don't have this job opportunity and this job opportunity never been a calculus for politicians to be uh, you know responsible to like it seems to me that they don't think that creating job is one of their role when they're been elected by the people so imagine that you know like how can people survive and they're not people that being imagined by a lot of politicians that oh but they have this uh, massive forest to lean on no longer that case we are not facing uh, the situation when even people live in the village they are not embed themselves to the market economy to the cash economy they can no longer uh, survive just by you know uh, eating anything in in the surroundings so we need to think more about the fate of people there that because of the fire regulations losing something very important to them and we're not talking yet about the cultural integrity of these people too by that uh, banning but we we were still thinking thinking about this economical consequences and, and political consequences we are not there yet i mean like when we're discussing more about you know the cultural integrity that that is or very problematic too for them because mm-hmm. it seems to me like that they're also like in this confusion like so what are we now if, if yeah we, they're uh, completely like feeling i guess dislocated and right it's, it's, they, it's you know, what's their identity because it was attached to that practice exactly like it's it's like more like cultural displacement or cultural, yeah. cultural dispositions for them too and and as you described it like the government's response has been all to focus on the punishment right one thing for sure is like they're trying i mean like the young people uh, are now more engaging with things that they can rely on like artisanal mining for instance they're going to the upstream to do that or becoming uh, labor for the plantations when there is opportunity we know that once but it's uh, it's insecure income isn't it yes it's it's precarious income and then and then it's increasingly engaging more with doing things here and there just to scrap uh, money so it increased the precariousness of people within this uh, fire governance now and then moving to cities i think it's not viable for them because we know for sure that in in my case for instance in central kalimantan there's no industry there what are you doing there even the people who who go to university after they are graduated from the university they still don't know where to go because people from the village and then uh, impacted by these fire regulations they have pretty no limited option for that yeah 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 uh yeah i think that's the situation that we are facing now uh it's i mean there's no like a silver bullet uh, we need more commitments from from many many people and stakeholders including like politicians and, and political party it seems to me that they don't engaging with this in, in any capacity not, not enough not enough not in like other country that i sometimes i i wonder like or oh, maybe you have green party like and, and then that really promote the environmental uh, ideas notions about the climate change everything else here it's quite rare to have politicians talking about that you know we should you know <laughs> engaging more with the ipcc reports and everything else it's quite rare 
just- yeah 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 so it's kind of got to come from from the people hasn't it at this point like that's got to be where NGOs the- like that yeah yeah do you get a sense that young indonesians are a little bit more have more of an outlook that's concerned yeah this is what like maybe uh, this is a biased observations from uh, twitter or social media that i'm engaging with like uh, a lot of people around within my circles are now more progressive in terms of like uh, they want uh, to incorporate the environmental notions to to the politics too and including the their their own practices but i know for sure that many people cannot afford to think about that even in the first place you know like when you were dealing with uh, with uh, like immediate needs to survive i'm sure this is sounds like a luxury for them like how can you think about the planets when you know my own body is suffering and uh, because i cannot survive um i, I i'm not sure if, if i'm surviving this week or this month so i know and we need to acknowledge that too like uh, maybe yeah. this is something people in the cities like jakarta surabaya medan can think of but we need also be prepared if people cannot afford to talk about this issue in the first place absolutely and you know then there's you know we've talked about the responsibility that you know the international community but particularly the developed world have to compensate to right right and you know that's part of the deal that norway have signed Mm -hmm. um with indonesia but you know it's then the money's got to be spent the right way it's got to filter down but um let's hope all power to the people right right and to you so thank you so much for joining me sofian thank you so much Gemma. this is uh, wonderful that was sofian ansori from northwestern university talking indonesia will return on the 8th of june hosted by our new co-host Elizabeth Kramer. Remember, you can find the entire Talking Indonesia podcast archive at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog. Subscribe via iTunes so you'll never miss an episode or find us via your favourite podcasting app. Until next time, this has been the Talking Indonesia podcast. Thanks for listening and bye for now.